freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus, sorry about, just Mike. Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports Station. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like, the Puff Dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. The Seahawks have to accomplish two things this offseason, Brock. And I don't want anyone to think that one is more important than the other. In my view, they are equally important. The Seahawks need to fix the defense, especially the defensive line, and they need to figure out their quarterback position. That's it? Let me say it a different way. The Seahawks need to figure out their quarterback position, and they need to fix the defense, especially the defensive line. These are equally important. They are not one and two. They're not even one A and one B. They're one and one. They need to do both of these things because if they fix one but not the other, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. If you get the quarterback thing figured out but you don't start fixing the defense, it doesn't matter. We've seen what that looks like. If you get the defense figured out but you you know have a problem at quarterback, you're not a serious contender without a real quarterback. Mm-hmm. So these two things are not uh, – it's not zero-sum game, one or the other. You have to figure out a way to do both or else your offseason can't be successful. Do you have enough capital, enough draft capital, enough cash on hand to be able to do both? So that's a that's a good question. And ultimately, I I think that the answer it might depend on how long you're giving them to figure this all out. Do you think they can go to a Super Bowl next year? If if that's the goal to be in the Super Bowl a year from today, then you know, you're going to have to use every bit of that capital and hit on every single one of your options in order to get it done, right? It's unlikely that they're going to be in the Super Bowl next year. So if you start to tell me, okay, look, this is a two-year process, I don't know, maybe you don't need to get everything. Maybe you don't need to use every one of your, you know, assets and, and et cetera in order to get there. But over the course of the next two years, don't you think that's got to be your your timeline to get yourself back to being a Super Bowl contender? Didn't Philly go from nine and eight in a playoff loss they did. to a Super Bowl? They did. I mean, didn't didn't they trade for AJ Brown? Didn't they add Linville Joseph? Mm-hmm. And, and didn't they sign Hassan Reddick? And and didn't they make like lots of those moves and draft well? They and- did. They had a quarterback on a rookie deal. Right, which, as we know, is like the single most valuable thing out there is having a quarterback on a rookie deal. I, I did some of this research. I don't know. Did you see the um, Did you see the article that came out yesterday on ESPN.com that was going through the value of of quarterbacks over the course of the last year? Mm. Did you see that? Mm-mm. It was kind of interesting. So they, it was. It's a value. Was that chart. Barnwell. Uh, you know what? I'll see if I can find it for you. I don't remember who wrote it, but it was really interesting. It was all about it was it wasn't about who was the best quarterback. It was about who was the most value for the money. And basically, Gino was the third most valuable quarterback for the money. The yeah. two people ahead of him were both. It was Jalen Hurts. And I'm sorry, I forget who Burrow? the other was. Uh, no, it was somebody else. Okay. Uh, but it was another it was another player on a rookie deal. And for the most part, Gino was the outlier. Most of the top value quarterbacks were guys on rookie deals, but Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, et cetera, still exceeded the value of their contract. It's not like they were bad pick or bad contracts, but Mm -hmm. they did not exceed it by as much as some of the rookies did. Does that make sense? It does. And at the bottom of the list is the Kyler Murrays, the Russell Wilsons, the Kirk Cousins, I'm sure. The absolute very bottom of this list. Carson Wentz. No. Worse. 
the absolute worst value quarterback in the league this year was Deshaun not Watson. even close. It was Deshaun Watson. Yeah, that that story has gone under the radar. And by the he way, was this an year epic disaster. But this year he didn't even make his money. Like like this year, remember the way they re, they wrote that deal was. Well, we kind of figuring you're going to be suspended. You maybe even be suspended the whole year. I, I want to say this year he made like five million, and then from this day forward, in this season forward, it is fifty guaranteed. Period. So if he was the worst this year, oh my gosh, you, you go ahead and, and write it because mm-hmm. there's not going to be another quarterback that gets that kind of guarantee. And what a what a just as you said, just a colossal disaster. The off the field got so much of the play. Now the impact on the field is going to be significant. So I found the the numbers here. So Gino, this is essentially total over expected, right? I I don't know exactly how they're ranking all of this, but the numbers they gave to Gino was it was essentially eighty points over expectation of of what his contract was. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only people who beat that were Jalen Hurts at ninety one. And Justin Herbert at 82. After that, I mean, Patrick Mahomes beats it by 52 points, but not by as much as Geno did, right? Josh mm-hmm. Allen by 24, uh, Jared Goff 10, Tom Brady 2, and then all the other veteran starters making money were negative over expectation. That's right. Derek Carr, negative 2. Kirk Cousins, negative 33. Tannehill, negative 40. Prescott, negative 47. Murray, negative 51. Ryan, 56. Wentz, 59. Russell, 67. Stafford, 76. Got hurt. Aaron Rodgers, negative 84. And then Deshaun Watson, negative 108. Wow. So it's, it's you know, by contrast, rookie deal starters. Hurts, 91. Herbert, 82. Daniel Jones, 64, Burrow, 56, Fields, 46, Lawrence, 46, Tua, 43. Mm-hmm. Pick all of these guys. You know who the only one to be negative was? Zach Wilson. Yeah. Everybody else was positive. In ter- Even Davis freaking Mills was positive in terms of the value he brought compared to his $1.3 million salary. There is something to this. Well, and by the way, uh, Brock Purdy didn't, I guess, accumulate enough starts because he would be number one. Uh, No, he was here. He uh, was actually number nine. Really? 26. Whoa. How's that possible? Maybe it's because of the starts, but 26. 26 over. I, mean, I was kind of I was kind of riding this whole thing and that one just I don't I don't get that. That reminds me of the body fat pod in Indianapolis where all of a sudden Marvin Harrison is negative body fat. That doesn't happen. <laughs> it's not a real thing. Whatever your calibrations are, whatever algorithms you got working on that Morkum Indiag over there to measure the volume of the body fat, a human being can't be negative body fat. I know Marvin's lean, but yeah, that that's I don't, I don't know how you calculate Brock Purdy being Mr. Irrelevant, mm-hmm. last pick of the seventh round, making four hundred grand and playing at an efficiency level that was pretty much off the charts. That notwithstanding, I think that is relevant in total context. That is relevant that some of the biggest wasted money in this league is on whom quarterbacks. Not some of like the the, the you know the, the NFL got all fired up at these organizations. Remember that report about midseason that Schefter put out there like. Yeah, the league is really upset because they paid some $900 million in these contracts of coaches that have been fired, mm-hmm. right? And all of this money that you just, you know, be because of poor decisions. Look at the amount of millions of dollars right there that have been not, and not even last year alone, two, three, four years of veteran guys that you're paying huge money to. And really, what is what, what you're really asking is what is the difference between that 
you know, and your your younger player, right? What what is the difference between your well, wins he, over he, here's another way. Let me give you one other way of looking at it when you look through this. And again, I'm just using this one. Um, this one article, and they're using something called CWEPA. Jeez. I'm not going to get into all the details of it. Let's just use the numbers, okay? Because that kind of keeps it simple. The guy's making around $30 million. The closest I could come was Patrick Mahomes. It was $31 million in terms of effective comp, it says. Okay. And the total expected is 80 That's about what we said Gino had this year. Mm-hmm. So for Gino to be worth that amount... Dan on the number, he'd need to do exactly what he did this year. Yep. So his number would be about $31 million based yep. on his season this year. If that number goes up to 36, now you're probably expecting to get to 94. Mm. Here's the thing. Patrick Mahomes got to 132. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's how far over the expectation he here's was. the here's all i'm hearing the biggest beneficiary and why this is good news actually in seattle especially for the number five pick is because the will levises and the anthony richardson's and the cj strouds are going to be overvalued mm-hmm. they're going to be and those guys all have the traits they all have and check enough boxes and a couple of them in very unique ways and that is good news and let's hope uh, that my buddy over there in Europe is right, Rob, and that people will climb up into that draft and we'll take them one and we'll take them two and we'll take them three. The other and, argument here, though, is that you should be doing that, that that's the best way to get the most value out of the quarterback position is to get one of those guys yourself because that's how you have value. Now, having value is different from winning, <laughs> right? Having value at the quarterback position is different from winning, uh, but it is a different way of looking at this. And as we're trying to figure out what the Seahawks do, I am open to looking at every single point of view because I don't think anything here is cut and dry. Great sound. You're definitely going to want to hear from Denver. That's coming up next as we give you everything you need to know. And then friend of the show, Jeff Passan joins us. Mm. We'll pre-spring training. Look at baseball with Jeff. That's coming up. It's Brock and Salk. Seattle Sports on 710. SeattleSports.com. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, I said it a few minutes ago. The Seahawks have twin goals this offseason. They need to get the quarterback situation figured out, and they need to drastically improve their defense. The thing is, the quarterback situation comes first, not necessarily in importance, but in terms of timing. Because of Geno Smith and because of the looming deadline to franchise players, that's got to get done first. Bob Condota was with uh, Bump and Stacy yesterday and addressed exactly that. I would be stunned anyway if they signed into a contract that had a cap number for this year anywhere close to that. $30 million obviously would make it far more difficult to do anything for, for the team this year. So you don't want to have to do that. And they do have some other things they need to do. They're probably going to have to, you know, uh, cut a few players or maybe restructure a few contracts of some veteran guys. Shelby Harris and Quentin Jefferson and Gabe Jackson kind of have, or, or maybe three veterans you look at who have contracts that you could do something with to kind of free up some more money to do some things and to try to fit Gino. Yeah, I would agree with Bob. I think next year, if you're going to do those, Salk, if you're going to fix both of those situations, and by the way, it's your entire QB room. Drew Locke is also a free agent. So you've got to figure out that room and you got to figure out your front seven. You say defensive line, you need with Jordan Brooks out and coming off of a major ACL injury as well, you need a difference maker, difference making linebacker, if not two as well. Mm-hmm. So your entire front seven and having a $32 million hit 
on that cap for the QB is unrealistic. So they're going to have to move some pieces around. The great news is they've got cap space. The even better news is they have draft capital that they have never, between Pete and John, never had in their 13 years. Here's the second thing you need to know. I thought you were going to talk a little longer. I kind of needed to sneeze. Anyway, uh, after what had seemed like a long, well, long did time. You? No, I got my got. Uh, did you look up fright. at the light? I did, but then I got stage fright with my sneeze. Okay. It's happened sometimes. Well, you can dump a sneeze, too. I mean, we had to dump you swearing yesterday. No, that's you really unnecessary. You don't need to go there. There's no reason to keep <laughs> talking about that. <laughs> Kraken back to practice and uh, healthy. Benier, Schwartz, Schultz all returning for practice yesterday. Even Chris Drieger was there as well for the first time all year. All good news. Jacob Megna, their uh, new acquisition, the big defenseman, he was practicing. So kind of curious to see what that roster uh, active roster will look like today uh, when they uh, get on the island and face the Islanders at 430. Um, Megna's an interesting one. I don't know whether he plays right away because they don't need him to. I think they can kind of work him in here over the course of this road trip. But, yeah, I'm just excited to, for them to get back out there, and I'm really looking forward to seeing Matty Beneers. You know, I have said this to you a bunch, and I know there's bad teams in the NHL. I know it, uh, you know, based on, on points. We and, just saw Columbus. Uh, but so, this road trip, Four or five games out on the East Coast. Yeah, the the Islanders are fifty seven points. You're at sixty three, and, and, and just traded for Bo Horvat. Uh, the Devils, you're looking up to in the point standing. The Very Kraken, good team. Uh, the Rangers, you're looking up to in the point standing. Uh, the Flyers, you're better than, and then even the Jets, you're looking up to. I mean, three of these five have more points than you do. They all have winning records. This is a five game once again East Coast swing coming right out of the All Star break. The good news. Is the last time these guys were on a difficult road trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were historic. So hopefully they can get going tonight and start it again. Here's the third thing you need to know. Well, things are certainly changing in Denver. It is very clear who runs the show. His name is Sean Payton, and he's in charge. How do you feel about players having their own people off the staff in the building access to the players? Yeah, that's foreign to me. That That's not going to take place here. I mean, I, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with it. But our staff will be here, our players will be here, and that'll be it. He's a Parcells guy, right? Uh Uh-huh. Not a Belichick guy, but a Parcells guy. Parcells. Oh, yeah. You can feel it. The Big Tuna. Right. I mean, the Big Tuna was in charge. Mm. Say what you want about Bill Parcells. He was in charge. He was a big personality. And the moment he got anywhere, it became his team. And I think it's fairly safe to say Sean Payton is doing exactly that. And I think it's what Russ needs. He's kind of becoming the guy that we thought Russ needed in his entourage to maybe tell him what he needed to hear. The work has started. Um you know, this, I kind of use this term, you know, a little bit more anonymous donors this season, you know, where we're not, you just know that we're working, uh, but a little bit less visib- visibility on social media and all those other things. Like we're, we're gonna- We don't need that. Uh, Justin, you're going to be in charge of this. Okay. You're going to track the number of social media posts of Russell Wilson. Oh, interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're going to track those. Maybe com- and maybe compare and contrast to the previous few years where it was, frankly, especially in the offseason, out of control. And last year was almost comedic. Well, it wasn't almost. It was. 
pure comedy. Yeah. Well, From I his apocalyptic him. truck to his own jersey he wore to riding Super Bowls on the cleats to all of the nonsense, all of the well, taping. We did track that. We did the, uh, how many different mistakes was it? Yeah, Russell the 26 gaffes. Most embarrassing gaffes of Russell Wilson's time in Denver. Well, people think right? that. I think Jay Keeps is fine. People think this might affect him. I think he just won't be in the building, but he'll right. still be right. coaching him. The person this might affect is whoever Russ's like, personal photographer is. Well, that'd be too bad. If he yeah. needs to... He said, less visibility on social media. We need to be oh. anonymous donors. Oh, you mean East to West Empire. I've been thinking a lot about his personal photographer. Really maybe. hoping that person made it <laughs> Maybe he's going to get like the kids and get a Finsta. Mm. We'll have to find that one. What's a what? Fake Instagram. Oh. You have like your public one, and then you have one that you do your other stuff on. You don't have a private one, Saul? So? Well, what now? A fake Insta? <laughs> you don't have, you you don't have a fake Insta? No. A Finsta? <laughs> really? No. <laughs> it's everything you need to know. <laughs> I, I just hope hour. we get another one of those uh, intern videos that he did last, that Russ did last oh, year with Peyton. with Peyton. Oh, God, that was terrible. Oh, and hack it. Oh, and like, oh man. Horrible. Really How's your Band-Aid it? today? It's off. Oh, good. Yeah, I took it off. Yeah, I can feel the difference. And your sneeze, did it go away? No, I still need to sneeze. It's like way kind of up at the top of, it's almost into my eyes, yep. but it won't quite come out. You, so I told you, Why you, don't you save, it. save it for passing. Yeah. Save it for passing. Oh, you think you Jeff would, would like it. my sneeze? Oh, sure. he would love it. No, it's good. Didn't he swear at us on the air? Didn't he swear this year? He, he did. did. I mean, it was really And then really he blamed Justin and Mora. Yeah. Well, well just blamed me, not Mora. Not knowing he was on the air. No, he said if I would have called, it wouldn't have happened. He blamed Justin. Yeah. We had a right. caller swear in the air last week, right? Really? We did. That was oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, yep. we had to dump that and get rid yep. of that caller. Jeez. I mean, we've had Scott Service, Pete Carroll. They've both sworn on the air for sure. Uh, yeah. Albert and passing. Eric Wedge definitely uh, Breer, swore. Breer does it every time, right? Breer is probably the most egregious <laughs> curse. I mean, he, a repeat he, offender. No, it was only once, I think, oh, okay. but it was loud oh. and like super intense. Like, oh. whoa. It didn't dude. slip. No, it yeah. was very, uh, yeah, it was very. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll bring in the uh, the uh, great filthy mouthed Jeff Passan next. <laughs> He'll join us to talk a little baseball. I'm Brock and Zalk, Seattle Sports on 710 and the Seattle Sports application. This, this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports Station. Counting down those days before we leave for spring training. As a matter of fact, I just changed my flight to leave another day earlier because it uh, it beckons, Brock. The sun, the warmth, the nice weather. Peoria beckons. What can I tell you? Mm. Soon, man. Can't wait to hear them spikes at the end of the month. I know. It's going to be fun, huh? Super jelly last year. I'm not going to lie to you. I was super jelly. Was that hard for you? It was. Justin and I were down there. Just uh. challenging for you. Stuck. Maybe about the only real jealousy. Yeah, I can know, see that. Over the couple of years. Yeah, yep. I that, get it. That was tough. I could have called you every morning at 4.30. You wouldn't have been nearly as jealous about that. True. Uh, Jeffrey Passan, our friend, joining us right now. Hello, Jeffrey. How are you? Hi, guys. How are you? It's nice to talk to you in the off season. although it's starting to get closer and closer to... Uh, to at least the you know spring training, the beginning of the season, we're starting to pick up our baseball um, vibes. We oh, had Passon the- can feel it. I mean, Passon told I me he think. had he had to work out, so he's getting ready for he's getting back in suit shape. Oh, is that true? <laughs> yeah, to make know, sure everything fits. Yeah, he's doing his he's doing his traps. <laughs> he's working his neck machine. He's doing his lifts. He's he's getting ready for your suit shape because you're gonna be putting that suit on here soon enough. Talking about spring training, Passon. What do you mean soon enough? I got to bed in my suit every night. Oh, Come on. God. <laughs> Don't you know me? <laughs> I do too, but it's that hair suit, unfortunately. It's disgusting. <laughs> Stop thinking. I don't want to think about that. No. <laughs> Sorry. 
Yeah, ah. that's that's the penance well, but, when you come on this show. Well, I, you know what? Since you since you opened the door, do you have a back hair problem? Yeah, of course. I feel like you might. Of course, yeah. I do. Yeah, yeah. Jeff, not only do I have I a back hair I'll... problem, Jeff, Jeff. I, I I tried everything. I I went to get laser uh, laser, and it didn't work. And the laser said, "Oh dear God, no!" <laughs> the laser quit. <laughs> You, you, I, I feel like you are the scene in Dumb and Dumber where they're where they're getting their toenails buffed, except it's your back hair, My and, and it's almost like Ew. it's almost like a turtle shell. I'm gonna start to like Teenage Mutant Ninja Radio host. Well, I make my wife uh, shave it before no, we go don't on finish vacation. That sentence. Do not finish that sentence, sock. <laughs> Poor girl. My God. Well, make is probably a strong phrase. She's happy to do it because, you know, then she doesn't have to look at my disgusting hairy back when we're out in the sun. All right. Why are we talking? Brock, why did you invite him on here to talk about my disgusting back hair or to get excited about the Mariners? My God, man. This no, is ridiculous. I'm just trying. Here's the thing. I feel like I need to make people laugh after calling them spoiled and greedy last time. So uh, this is. And and I will uh, since I haven't been on the radio, I have like addressed this on Twitter. Um, that was a little excessive, <laughs> and, and 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 I and I and I apologize for letting uh, my my words get the best of me there. I think the sentiment was actually reasonable and fair, which is that this is not a one year process, and this is something that you have to look at over a multiple season period or a multiple free agent period to understand how it all fits and and what the puzzle looks like. And I know preaching patience for a fan base that's waited 20 years for relevancy is a hard thing to do, but I also think it's the most realistic thing as well. And that rather than lament what you don't have, it's best to appreciate what you do have, which is a pretty darn good baseball team that's made pretty big steps forward over the last 24 months or so. I think uh, the curiosity or the sentiment of a lot of that fan base is pretty simple. Can be boiled down to this, Jeff, over this offseason, and it's not quite done. I think the rosters are fairly set. We chat with Jerry every week, and, and I think it's fairly set, but they've got dry powder when and if there comes a time to use it. But the sentiment of the question is this. Over the course of this offseason, have the Mariners gained more ground on the Astros, or did the Rangers and Angels gain more ground on the Mariners? Mm, I haven't looked at it that way. I don't see the Rangers or Angels as big threats to the Mariners, to be honest. I think they're going to be better, but mm-hmm. I still I still think the Mariners are pretty clearly the second best team in the division, and I don't think they've caught up to the Astros. You know, Astros losing Verlander big, but they have like seven starters last year, so they can fill in the back end of the rotation just fine there. And they added Jose Abreu, and so. Uh, I think the the Astros have done a nice job of keeping together a championship core. Um, so on that Mariners. on that on that uh, band, let me just play you something from Jerry. This is something Depoto told us last week, and I'm curious how you would evaluate this because he looked at it and says we don't see it like we're closing a 16 game game gap. We didn't view our off season goal as trying to close a 16 game gap with the the Astros. We don't feel like we were a true 16-game separation away from them because our team changed so much while that was all happening. So, 
you know, broadly, yeah, we finished behind them by, by that amount. You know, more acutely, what we saw after Luis joined the team, second half George Kirby was cons- considerably different than first half George Kirby. You know, June to September Julio was very different than April and May Julio. And then the same for Cal Raleigh. And the same, uh, our team evolved. Is that a fair thing to look at? Yeah, but you also need to balance it out with the fact that I'm sorry, but the Mariners pitching is not going to be as healthy this year as it was last year mm-hmm. because it's damn near impossible to have starters throw as many innings and as many games as they did without an injury, right? Like, is as much as you want to look at the positive stuff that happened over the last four months, which is a very reasonable thing to do, you also have to look at what could go wrong and factor that in. And I'm not trying to listen. I understand uh, the wet blanket like has been a real thing in the past, and I'm not trying to bring that back out right now. I'm just trying to be realistic where if you're looking at that 90-something percentile, uh, you also better be looking at the 10th because it's probably going to end up somewhere in between. And so uh, I, I, I get what he's saying. I'm not fully on board with that idea, though, that, the the Astros aren't 16 wins better than the Mariners because honestly I think they probably still are. So can that be a part of the reason? And, and I know Salk wants to ask you in totality of the trade market this off season, but can that be part of the reason that we have not seen Flexen moved? We've not seen Marco moved. We've not seen Bryce Miller, who they're incredibly high on behind the scenes. It yep. sure feels like. Is that part of the reason then, Jeffrey, why we have not seen a Ryan Reynolds trade, that we have not seen a major blockbuster trade? Because they, too, know that last year was the outlier when it comes to the health of those arms. I think that is a very reasonable supposition, Brock. And I I look at it like this. I'm going to be writing a story on this in spring training, actually. But uh, look at all the contending teams this year, like all the teams that think they may have a shot at the playoffs. Um, almost every one of them has six or seven big league ready, good starting pitchers. Uh, starting pitching depth is paramount, and uh, you know relievers they're they're fungible. Like we've seen that, we've seen how the the Mariners have cycled through relievers over the last few years, and you have a, a few guys who who stay and and who prove themselves worthy year after year. But those are the exceptions. Starting pitching, it's really hard to go out and find a guy, and bad starting pitching can crush you. And so having six or seven guys there, uh, guys who you believe are ready, uh, I I think it's a necessity. And and by the way, I I also do think Bryce Miller will be pitching big league innings this year. Like, I think he's going to be pitching important innings. I don't know if he's going to be George Kirby necessarily, but uh, I think he will be a – good part of this team in the second half he may be a part of it right off the bat out of the bullpen they may decide to go that road just given yeah, the fact that he throws I mean, 102 could, the, yeah i i mean they could but it's almost like with brash you give the guy a chance to be a starter first mm-hmm. because the the value the value of a starter is just so much it's bigger huge. than that of a reliever i mean you can you know andres munoz at his absolute apex is probably value-wise worth about the same as a slightly ab- above league average starter. Yeah, I think like that's, that's probably just, right. 
that that's just what innings do. I mean, in it, you know, if you look at replacing innings with replacement level stuff, that that's what's going to lose you games. And uh, especially those like those early innings, if if you're down five nothing early in a game, you better have a really good offense if you want to be able to come back from that. Or you know, just get good starting pitching and don't go down five nothing early. So speaking speaking of that offense, so you know they're making a little bit of a bet here on Jared Kelnick. They're, they've they've yes, done they everything are. they can to try to help him. I was I was likening it to Trot Nixon in nineteen ninety nine. Similar kind of guy, left handed hitter, hard work. You know, very intense family, very intense guy, got passed over by a prospect before him. And when the Red Sox finally decided to give him his real shot, he didn't hit lefties and he hit ninth all year. So they're basically doing the same thing for Kelnick and they're going to see if he can make it. If he doesn't, how hard is it to trade for a left fielder in June? Not. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it should not be difficult to find a left fielder at some point. Uh, or, I, I mean, left field, remember, is the easiest of the outfield positions to play. So you uh, you theoretically could trade for a center fielder or you theoretically could trade for a right fielder, too. And uh, I, I think, by the way, this is the right thing to do. It, Jared Kelnick, remember, was supposed to be like the centerpiece of this. Like the centerpiece. Before Julio emerged the way that he has, Kelnick was the guy. And so to not give him the opportunity every single day to go out there, you have enough surrounding him now to buttress it. Like if he fails, if this doesn't work, you can move him and and you can feel good that you gave him the opportunity finally to actually capture this job and, you know, Sometimes prospects don't work out, um, but I, I actually have faith in him. I think he's going to be good still. And, and I may I may be dead wrong on this, but enough people uh, whose opinions I respect think there's still something there for me to, to say this guy's cooked, get rid of him, change the scenery is necessary. And if you're going to do it, uh, do it with a team that's got enough talent to, to cover it if it's not working. Yeah, Jeffrey, any any fire to the smoke when it comes to Fernando Tatis? Seems to be a lot of little rumors and innuendos and rumblings and gossip that he may be on the trade market. Grumblings about where he's going to play positionally, an elite, elite talent, obviously a track record of injury and, and some performance-enhancing issues. Is Fernando Tatis going to be a Padre this entire season? I, I, have, um, I have no idea where these are coming from. Because a couple things, Brock. Number one, he's got a full no trade clause. So if they want to move him, he's got to say yes. And he is not inclined at this moment to say yes. But beyond that, if you're another team, are you really going to trade for a guy who's got three hundred like twenty five plus million dollars? I think left on his contract when he's coming off a PED suspension. You have no idea what he is. And and to to make that investment in somebody who has shown a string of bad decision making, uh, it's it's just a really difficult thing to do. I think so. I don't know where these rumors are coming from, or who's starting them, or what the veracity is. But none of them makes sense to Probably me. Probably Morosi. I just blame Morosi. I that that's fine, you know. I mean, Greg Amsinger was the one talking about it last week. So uh-huh. we'll go Greg Bishop, Greg. I didn't didn't yeah. Bishop write about it. 
Would you ever live with Greg Bishop? Uh, you know what? Stop right there. Let me tell you something about that. Hey, uh, last quick question because I know oh, you. Oh, I got one. one more. You got one. I got one. Jeff's got to go. He's, he's got oh. something he's got to go do. So oh, really shoot. quick. Major League average last year, Jeff, was 243. Lowest since the 60s. With a shift change and everything else this year, what will the major league average be? I think it's going to be at least 10 points higher. Wow. That's a huge it's difference. Not, it's, not, it's not the shift. It's the pitch clock. Okay. I think the pitch clock is going to have an, – an, I think it is going to be the most important change in baseball in at least half a century. Hmm. Wow. Well, we got to hear more about this. Then. Let, I, I know you got to run, me, but I want to hear let more. Let me just let me let me just let me just let me just say this: um, baseball fans are going to love it, and people who maybe want to be baseball fans but think games too long are going to be attracted even more to the idea of it now because I think the average game time is going to go down somewhere in the range of fifteen minutes, and we're finally going to get back to sub three hour games. I I would be willing to bet that there's going to be a sub two hour major league game at least at one point this year. Wow. Two and a half hour games are going to be regular. Like you're going to see two and a half hour games all the time. You know who likes that? Morning hosts. Everyone. Morning hosts. <laughs> yeah. We really like that. Morning radio hosts are like, oh really? You're going to start games at six forty, and they might be done by nine o'clock. Sold. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Thank yes. you, Jeffrey. Hey, Jeff, I got this text from Matt in Oregon. It says, you know, the wet blanket's also what Salk calls his back hair after a brisk walk. So (laughs) (laughs) apparently we're on the same page here. I like that. That a boy. There you go. Thank you, Matt. Much appreciated. So gross. Goodbye. Thank you, Jeffrey. There you go. There's there's the great Jeff Passon. The things I do for this show, Brock. The the amount of grief and things I do for this show. Yep. Sheesh. That's why we're number 12. Okay, the rankings came out this morning. We're number 12. Do you think this is, you think my back hair is getting us to number 12 or uh, holding us back from being higher ranked? Just transparency. I think maybe like us all having some gross things makes us relatable. Yep. Like we've got my fingers, your back. (laughs) What are Brock and my eyes? You, you Brock tries to bring up his eyes being far yeah. apart. Eh. Well, I can't see anything. That too. I know. Well, those it would are... have been Brock. You did have your friend, your passenger earlier that we talked about briefly. That almost. Oh yeah, my hemorrhoids. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's Hank. true. Hank. Yeah, I brought a pink. <laughs> yeah, that came away though. What do you got, Justin? What's your What's, what's your, your contribution, here? Justin? What's disgusting uh, about probably you? Probably just a bunch of bad tattoos or something. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I would argue they're all bad tattoos. It's true. You would. Yeah. One's worse know. than the next. I, I don't know. I'll keep, well, there's still time. We'll find something. Justin's essentially he's like, I'm kind of the perfect person. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't, know, why, I don't know what you mean. Julio. I'm beautiful. <laughs> Look at me. Practically a male model over here. Prom king yeah. twice or something. Yeah. Prom king. Incoming king. You name it. Were you those things or were you not? I was. <laughs> so? <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's that has nothing to do with, that's like, are you friends with people? Because your friend, your classmates are the ones that vote for those things. So not only that, but you were popular. You were good looking and popular is what you were <laughs> Wait, saying. Wait, so you're saying we didn't, had, we didn't have friends? I, was, I wasn't, I wasn't prom well, queen. Well, you guys that were calling me a bully last week because I thought it'd be fun to go yeah, back to being 13 years old. was afraid of you. Old. That's probably why they voted for you. No. <laughs> and I'm glad that finally people after enough time have sent me messages on Twitter being like, I agree. If I could go back to being 3, 13, 23, or 33, I would pick 13 as well because because you were never more free as you were that's then. Nuts. I agree. That, that's a terrible answer. Everyone here picked 23. The other, que- the better question us. there was which decade would you take instead? 
If you could go oh, yeah, back ten year span and go three to thirteen, thirteen to twenty three, mm-hmm. twenty three to thirty three, or thirty three mm. to forty three, mm. which decade would you live over? Ooh, man, I broke a lot of bones between thirteen and twenty three. <laughs> yeah. I think I would do that again. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd roll there as well. Hey, uh, by the way, can I get back to a quick little baseball here? I guess. Yeah. Will you answer the question first? Which one? Oh, I go 13, 13, oh, 13 to 23. Okay, okay, good. Yeah, I think I go 13 okay. to 23. Uh, actually, no, I go 23 to 33. Yeah, 23. Getting married was great. 23 to 33. <laughs> yeah, saving yourself for marriage and getting married was great. Those are great of years. Brock has to bring yes. marriage into it. <laughs> yes. Well, so if you understand brand. Brock's history, so you brand. understand well, why that was such an I important development. I clearly understand what he's saying right now. Yes. Yeah. Art, yeah, do you? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Please talk baseball, Brock. 23 to 33, and that's not even close. we kind of are talking baseball. Go ahead, Brock. Uh, uh, Major League umpire just texted me after that passing conversation, and he said, uh, passing is absolutely correct. The pitch clock is going to drastically change the game. We have talked about the shift more than the pitch clock. Mm -hmm. We've talked about the bigger bases more than the pitch clock. We learned yesterday about the number of pickoff moves. And in some ways, when you kind of share that, you're like, wow, that is going to drastically change. Mm -hmm. But the people that have lived this, that have seen this, that have watched it at the minor league levels and have certainly gotten themselves ready for what's coming at the major league level, I would have, in my idiocy, said, oh, the pitch clock? I mean, hasn't that kind of already been there? Hasn't that been a real? Nope, nope, nope. These people in baseball say this is going it's to be huge. the most it's a huge drastic, difference. drastic change. It has. I haven't seen it yet. My initial reaction is that I hate it. See, this is where I'm really bad. And, and Molly, after 24 years, it's finally learned. Because she'll ask me things. Well, what do you think about this? And what do you think? Well, number one, I have no design. Number two, I'm colorblind. And number three, I have no vision. So if you if you tell me these garage doors are going to be a, a makeover like you wouldn't believe, guess what? I believe you. Right. This you see things before I do. You have that kind of vision to see it and put it together. I don't. I have to. I can't even wrap my mind around this yet. I've got to just see it, and I got to live it. I can't really picture what that. Can you? Can you picture how drastic a change this is going to be? No. I mean, I've heard about it. I've I've read stories about it, and I've talked to people who've seen it in the minor leagues, and they say it's crazy. I mean, it really is much faster pace, and it's always happening. I mean, it is like the second the pitch is thrown, that clock resets, and there's like that sense of urgency that is oftentimes missing in baseball and, and kind of is more akin to, you know, watching your team struggling to to snap the ball before the play clock expires, that yeah, there's right. some urgency to all of it. I'm not doubting that it is going to be a gigantic change. It is. I'm I'm a little hesitant to embrace it, and maybe I ultimately will, but I like that baseball doesn't have that urgency. I enjoy the length of I don't I'm not bothered by the three hour game. I wish they could do some things to make it, you know, speed it up a little bit. I don't need the batter to walk around for a half hour between every pitch and, you know, take stock of everything that's going on. And they largely don't anymore. I just... they largely don't. If you really watch it, it is the number of pitches. It is the number of, you know, am I getting now in my ear? And I've got to step off the mound. It's, I wish they could do something like what they do in golf, quite frankly. Like, when you start taking too long, they put you on the clock. Mm. Like, okay, you want to take forever? You're on the clock. But I don't need everyone to be constantly firing pitches every fifteen seconds. I don't know. Is is there any is there any limit to the amount of like timeouts you can call? 
I don't. I'm not sure how all that works. Okay. Honestly, I don't know. Like if you do need a minute to slow things down, it's like I'm, sorry, I'm not does, ready. Does this mean that reliever from Cleveland? I don't have to watch that nonsense. Mike Clevenger. No, not Clevenger. The starting pitcher, starter. No, I'm talking it's about the. Yeah. yeah, it's Clevenger. He was with San Diego last year. Now he's with Cleveland. Oh, you're talking no. about the guy that touches his head in his glove uh, and. Uh, yes, oh. I'm talking about that wackadoo. That wackadoo like touches like the resin and then his hair and then like he has got a whole deal like Jeff Hornacek used to touch his face yeah, on the free I mean, throw. Yeah, I mean some line. of those guys aren't going to be able to do that stuff. They're not going to be able to do it, right? I mean it's just going to be totally up tempo. Yeah, I don't I don't think yeah. you know I don't I don't think any of us have really prepared for what this is going to look and feel like. I've been essentially ignoring it on purpose because I I really like the idea of it is sort of frightening to me and I'm not I'm not really into it to be honest with you. I mean you. you would have to think that that Why favors that? Uh-huh. that favors a club like the Mariners. That that favors a group that's been there as far as some experience level, right? I, I know they're young, but you got Marco and you got Flexen and you got Luis Castillo and and why you know, does I think Jeff Logan think it's and- going to favor the batters? Why is that going to raise the major league average? I mean, the batters I think are actually going to be the ones who are a little bit more thrown off by it, needing to kind of like take a moment Less time to and, think. And yeah, I, like I'm surprised that he thought that would be the thing that would raise the batting average ten points. I mean, I think the shift will help. But I'm surprised to hear him say that. You don't that think would that creates more mistakes? I mean, I'm with Jeff. I think that creates more mistakes. Maybe that if I don't have time to process and I can't work through all these signals and I can't do all these shakeoffs and I can't mm. do all these things that I'm accustomed to, and you got to speed me up, right? We got to just go. Okay, here we go. Like I, I would think that that would favor the batters. That that would create some of that urgency and panic that those guys don't have, especially early, as they try to figure this out. Hmm. And I think you will see a few more cookies and a few more mistakes because of it. So well, you got to hit the mistakes. So that's a good point. Maybe that's maybe that's how it ends up working and that's how it ends up affecting things. But I don't wow. know. There's something about it that just does not feel right to me. So we'll see what it looks like. I'm going to try to remain You're open-minded. Old school, Salky. You're just an old I just guy. like baseball. I don't have a huge need to change that. You're not a progressive. You just like the old. That's fine. I'm just <laughs> happy with how the game is for the most part. <laughs> Like, I want to see a little bit more action. I'm excited about banning the shift. Like, I'm not like a, you know, everything has to remain the same forever. I don't, I'm happy to, oh, you know what I heard they might do? You guys want a little scoop that I heard the other day? And it's not done yet, but there is some conversation that they might actually get rid of the rule where replay can overrule you when you slide over the base and come off for a split second. Spirit of the game type rule. How great would that be? Because that's the dumbest thing in baseball right now, right? That's not why they instituted it. Right, you beat it. That's not what instant replay is for. And it sounds like they may go back to just, yeah, that's not what this is for. Sorry. Yeah, you came off. No big deal. Which would be great. That would make me very happy. All right. Coming up next, we play a little buy-sell. We have, like, too many things to get to, so we're going to do this as quickly as possible. A rapid-fire buy-or-sell next. It's going to be like being on the pitch clock. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710seattlesports.com.